Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. And welcome to another exciting edition of Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Oh, here we are. This is kind of weird because we're recording like on a different day than we usually are. I'm, I'm destroying the the magic. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I get to see you sooner in the week than later. That makes me so happy. How are you doing? What's going on? What's, uh, oh, I'm what's, doing what's okay. I'm, like? I'm having some orange juice because it is early. Um, I mean, it's early for us. Yes, it when is we really record, <laughs> this, it's 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 almost it's almost dinner time for some people. Um, that's, yeah, that's true. But for us right now, it is too early. <laughs> it's too early in the morning for this. <sighs> anyway, so how's it going? What's new? What's happening? Well, um, I started watching. You know, I've been doing this thing where I like watch mo- TV shows that like. I only watch the first season of, and then I'm just oh, finishing yeah. the series just to satisfy my curiosity. And so I'm in the middle right now of uh, watching The Americans. Oh, okay. So I watched the first season, and then I watched part of the second season, and then I gave up, and then now I'm just fully invested in the drama of uh, Soviet spies living in America. Oh, that's got uh, what's her face is in it. Um, Matthew Reese, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, her, yes, her, Matthew Reese, um, Carrie Russell, Carrie Russell, yes, there we go. Felicity Carrie is Russell. in this. Yes, Felicity. You know that's exactly. I was like picturing her in that role. Um, very cool, and you like it, you enjoy it. Well, I guess enough to be finishing it because there's like what five seasons of that? Six there's seasons? six seasons, thirteen yeah. episodes each. So you know you can. This will this will probably take two weeks. Um, that seems to be my average for 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 TV like this. But um, but yeah, like it it's good. It's fun. Um, it's definitely like I um, the the phrase coined by a uh, uh, cultural professor uh, Karen Tongson is fotige. Like it's like faux prestige television. Like it's definitely not. It wants to be like a Game of Thrones, but it's not. It's also it's a very horny show. There's a lot of very um, graphic sexual situations. So, oh, all right, yeah, I know, and not in and not in the way that I like or enjoy. But you know, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. But what's well, interesting is that you know Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell they they met and fell in love on this show, and they had a child. Uh, you know, so they, uh, it's oh, interesting yeah. to see that, it, to see that dynamic play out because it's a very, it is a very intimate show. <laughs> interesting. Well, good for them. They mm-hmm. sound, that sounds happy. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, when those children grow up. That's the story. It's like, you could just watch that show and you have the story of our, of our, <laughs> yes. Um, so tell me what's, uh, also, well, hold on. So also yeah. it's really cool because it's like they're Soviet spies, right? They're Soviet KGB agents living in Reagan era, Washington, DC, right? So it's very, 
there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of Reagan hate in it. And um, there's a lot of like, you know, they it's like, oh, like, why is it that all of the FBI people are white? And then all the KGB agents are using like, you know, black and Latino people. I'm like, well, <laughs> if you think about that time period, um, who would be more sympathetic to take down capitalistic America? <laughs> It makes sense. Um, so yeah, and it's, if you're a student, if you if you in if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about like that whole area of of history that like the '80s, then this is definitely an interesting show for that. Huh. Very cool. Maybe I'll watch it sometime. I'm actually surprised that the Sam Squanch doesn't watch it. Um, my pet Bigfoot because. Uh, that seems right up his alley for the kinds of things that he enjoys. Um, although if it was set in like World War II times, it would be even more interesting. Um, he loves himself a Nazi documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> which is interesting as a Jewish person. He's like always <laughs> obsessed with, um, I'm always finding him, you know, secret aliens of Hitler and, you know, the occult practices of the Nazis, these, these pseudo documentaries on the history channel. Well, you definitely should begin your Marvel journey because the first Avenger is like, it's a world war two movie. Like, right. (laughs) Um, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, it's, it's a very much a world war two movie. Huh? Well, that's good to know. I'll remember that. That may make that more enjoyable for, uh, for, for Jeffrey. Um, what have I been doing? Uh, so I don't think I've talked about it on the show, but I was doing sort of a reverse fright school with the Gilmore girls. I don't think I've talked about it here, but I was trying to watch that for a while. Um, I watched about two seasons and whenever the last time I mentioned it to you is the last time I watched it. So it's been like a month maybe since I put it down three weeks or so. See, you, you stopped, you stopped right where I watch because i don't watch the first two seasons okay i watch i watch from like season three on but really if i'm really being honest with myself i've mainly watched season four on because season four is when rory goes to college and it's a story gets more exactly the story gets a little (laughs) more it gets i mean if you can believe it joshua the story does get a little deeper (laughs) okay well, oh it's, God, it's it's already so deep. It's Rory and Lorelai separated, and they actually do an okay. entire the, in in that season. It's uh, there's an entire episode of like Rory and Lorelai leaving each other voicemails. So they it's like the first time you see that they're not talking to each other and they don't even share the same space. And it talks about like the how much like that is kind of the under like how that contributes to the chaos that is their lives at that point. Um, I see. I see. Well, I will stock up on the tissues. <laughs> uh, so I've, I, I've taken a break from that because I did. I watched quite a bit of it. It was, a, you know, for a bit, it was a nice, like, sorry, mindless distraction from like schoolwork, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely uh, mindless. Kinda, yeah, just to take that break to, uh, you know, just let it kind of play. And, you know, I could get caught up in the petty dramas of their, they all need therapy, seriously. That's kind of what I, I, I think, you know, the whole show, it's like, I should take that to like classes, like, you know, watch the Gilmore girls to like, (laughs) and think of like strategies of how to heal these relationships. Uh, (laughs) What kinds of therapies uh, could we intervene with? You know, what kind of modalities, Um, you know, let's diagnose all the characters uh, because they're all sick. They all need help. (laughs) 
just like every other television show. But the, the but the generational like trauma being inflicted upon, especially between the the mother, the two mothers. Well, what am I trying to say? Emily Lorelei. and Lorelai. Emily, Lorelai, and and Rory. <laughs> There's, there's a whole analysis there to open up. Uh, but anyway, so I, I've taken a break from that. I've been rewatching Hot in Cleveland. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the remake of The Golden Girls, basically. Uh, which is, I don't understand what people are like, oh, they should remake The Golden Girls. Like, they already did, you know, and it was pretty successful. It was on for, like, six seasons. It's it, really had it had Betty White. It had Betty White. Uh, you know, so yeah, I don't, uh, it's so strange when people are like, oh, we should get a new Golden Girls. It's like, it kind of already exists. So I've been rewatching that because I had watched like the first season of that when it came out like new. Because um, that's what that was like 10 years ago. And Betty White was like everywhere, you know, for a while, like you just could and and it just, you know, it was like nostalgia television, like, oh, my gosh, let's just watch Betty White be a bad, uh, be a bad old lady. You know, it's fun. <clears throat> uh, so I've been revisiting that. Um, but yeah, so, but horror wise, we haven't even gotten anything horror related. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, again, existential horror, maybe, um, the new, the, uh, spiral, the trailer came out, uh, spiral from the book of saw, the new film being, uh, helmed by Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson, uh, sort of a new, well, I don't know what to call it. I mean, I guess it's a sequel, sort of a reboot in a way, maybe. Uh, you know, they say in the trailer, Jigsaw's dead. So this is obviously a follow-up story. It's not a prequel or something that's like, you know, tied into the the, the original film's timeline, I guess. Maybe we'll see. So anyways, that came out. So I did a Saw-a-thon. I watched the first four Saw movies uh, right in a row. And um, actually, probably later today, I'll watch the next couple in between because I have, I have some things to do later today. Um, I'm building a support group um, for yourself. Fun, <laughs> yes, for me. <laughs> uh, is it a support group I, for narcissists that you had to build yes. it around yourself? <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, but it's, it's kind of a, a cool project I was approached about, so I, I'm sort of working on that. Um, something I will uh, co-facilitate with others. Um, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a cool project, but, uh, so I have that going on later today. So I think in between, I might watch a couple more of the Saw movies. So that's been a fun revisit. Cause I haven't really watched them all in order in a long time. How many are there? Uh, there I, are seven. Oh, well now I guess, and Jigsaw. So like eight, there are eight of them. Wow. Okay. Like there could be more. <laughs> I always have to stop and think like how many Saw movies are the there? The Saw cinematic universe. <laughs> exactly. I, I just yeah, have this feeling that like when you watch one or more Saw movies, David appears. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah, it looks like the original lineup because it was Saw through Saw 6 and then Saw the final chapter and then Jigsaw. And now Spiral will add to being the ninth, um, the ninth soft. <laughs> yes, exciting. <laughs> it's not actually been that long since Jigsaw came out. I thought that was a lot longer, but that was only in 17, 2017. Oh, yeah, so not um, that not that long ago. Yeah, so not too long ago. But uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the new movie. I'm very curious uh, how it's going to play out. The trailer gave me like seven vibes, which always makes me happy. I love seven uh, film. We've not yet done on this show, but we will one day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so you know it kind of gave me that sort of you know night early or mid 90s kind of grimy police <laughs> david fincher fight. yeah uh crime movie oh my gosh hemlock is just being he's just talking to himself he wants to he wants you to know his opinions about the saw film uh, he wants a cookie no <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that's pretty much been the week you know, um, trying to think what else is out. I know there's, uh, there's, there's always news, right? There's always something horror related happening, <laughs> which is good. You know, keeps us, keeps us with, uh, things to, to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, we, well, um, when this comes out, uh, Easter will have happened. So, you know, she has risen. Uh, look at her. That is true. Mm. She is not here. Um, she is risen. <laughs> What's the whole thing that going around? There's going to be like a full moon or something on Easter. It's like a blood moon or something. Or yeah, blood which moon. is oh, oddly enough, <laughs> right? Very fitting. Perfect, perfect for today's uh, uh, conversation. Um. Yeah, because somebody was like posting. I think it was like the guys from Horror Movie Night had posted about the werewolf jesus <laughs> um i, I it's brilliant. it's so funny because like the um the the memories on facebook pop up and always this time of year it's like some you know easter related thing and i think yesterday my memory from like years ago was that you know we celebrate the resurrection tonight is the season finale of walking dead <laughs> when i still watched <laughs> um which was I was like ah oh, that was great and um have you uh, so have you seen the music video for Lil Nas X's Montero parentheses call oh, me by yeah. your name yeah I watched that I haven't watched the music video yet I feel like I have everyone keeps posting gifts and you know I'm, I know right <laughs> you could piece it together <laughs> I, I think the song is very good I mean. I also like, you know, I like a groovy pop tune, so mm-hmm. um, I love anything like that. But, um, but yeah, it's it's interesting about like the, the his responses to people who are just like, you know, kids listen to your music and blah blah blah. And I'm like, well, you know, uh, Old Town Road was like <laughs> was wasn't the most wholesome of tunes either. So like, why are you? you know why i'm not making uh music for for anybody else i mean as a as a recording artist as a musician um how do you feel about that like you know that it, you know it's like you record something for yourself obviously but then you're not in control of who consumes it and so like you know like what if one of your band's tunes ends up becoming like on kids bop like i don't know <laughs> like, like talk to me a little bit about how you would feel about that kind of stuff and then just in general about you know, like I, I love singing. I don't like Mondays, but I know what the song's about. But <laughs> and, you know, and things like that that's I'm always really concerned with, like the meaning of music. Right. And it's always interesting when you hear what kids are listening to. And then you re- then I realize like, oh, shit. But like when I was like in elementary, I was singing the full soundtrack to Greece. And <laughs> and that's not a wholesome tune. 
So it's, you know, childhood is also like socially constructed, right? So like we, you know, children's literature, teenager, these are all social constructions of, and, and those cultures are, um, you know, we've created those cultures in order to, you know, facilitate like capitalist, you know, machinations, right? So I, I'm go- I'm just going on, but... <laughs> No, that's okay. I mean, I think you, you know, you kind of made the points that I would make. Uh, yeah, it's definitely socially, socially constructed and to the benefit of like larger systems, you know, so we change the meanings of different things to fit, you know, needs, you know, so it's like, okay, an 18 year old is old enough to go off and die for this country, uh, but is not old enough to drink or old enough to uh, be considered like a full adult. Um, but can be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what he's doing. He's screaming and yelling, and like <laughs> he's fine. He does, you know, but he's just making noise, um, <laughs> uh, distracting me from my thoughts. Um, so no, I mean, I, I think I think that at the end of the day, like artists, you know, I think any form of like art is made to one be a uh, be a be a space for you know whatever like catharsis mm-hmm. the artist needs to have like why they make the art uh and i'm not saying lil nas x is art or isn't art but I, well it is music is art so <laughs> you know so <clears throat> but you know it goes on to the world and yes an audience then you know gets to take from it what they want or what they need and their interpretations of it uh, but I don't think it's the artist's responsibility to like, you know, gatekeep who or, or to even be concerned with the audience to, to some extent, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that he like he's become like the clapback queen on Twitter. He's 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 not here for any of it. And I think that's good. I think it's the same with Cardi B and like WAP, you know, because everybody's like making these strange connections with the conversation about Dr. Seuss and racism and like his own company that or the company that manages his work saying like hey you know this these six books that nobody's hardly heard of and isn't you know they're not big sellers they're just you know these six books or whatever five or six books that are you know filled with some terrible stuff and we're going to take this out and everybody goes oh dr seuss is bad but cardi b is good and it's like but that's not that's a false equivalency like that's not mm-hmm. the same thing you know uh, because cardi b doesn't make children's books it's not WAP the children's book <laughs> yeah can you imagine <laughs> she, she didn't sign up to be a role model and i think that that's kind of the same with like Lil Nas X it's like i'm i made this for me as a response to like the garbage religious crap i've had to deal with and it's kind of a fun twist on that uh you know but it's not like it, he was made it and was like let's send this to public schools to show children, kindergartners mm-hmm. you know so i just don't think the artist has a responsibility for that again we're we live in this like culture where parents are always looking for other people i feel to raise their kids you know like it's not it's not you know turn the tv off take away the smartphone i mean you know i mean kids these days I see two year olds with iPads, mm-hmm. you know, and they know how to use them. They know how to get information. So I just think it's silly. I think at the end of the day, parents should contextualize stuff for their kids. I mean, it's a conversation we have on here all the time, like horror, you know, if, if, if you let your kids watch horror films, they're going to grow up and kill people. It's like, 
you know, is Lil Nas X going to make people gay? It's just a stupid question, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I think one of my favorite tweets is like, if you think, uh, if you think Lil Nas X's new song is going to make people gay, then just play them WAP. <laughs> And that'll like, right? Because that's how obviously that's how you think it works, <laughs> right? That's how that's how people become straight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the whole thing is is just stupid. Uh, it's just annoying. And again, it's it's ways for people to get attention and get likes and get shares to you know comment on this and mm-hmm. and it, it's it's kind of re- it's kind of reinvigorated like the devil in our cultural consciousness, right? Because you know, you see, it, it's interesting because it's like the the pop divas of the aughts, right? Your Christina's, your Britney's, your Jessica Simpson's, and Mandy Moore's. They took for some of them, they took like a very roundabout way to go from like bubblegum pop to like I'm a woman now, and this is me living in my you know the full experience, the fullness of my sensuality. And Lil Nas X, within like less than five years, was just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm queer as fuck. I'm queer. I'm here. Like I'm gonna do what I want to do, and I think it's great because it's showing. It's kind of shown like, oh yeah, like these are people who don't live in a vacuum and are not don't exist in like solely for our benefit and for our consumption. These are artists who are making things that are deeply, intensely personal and speaking out on it. Like you have Beyonce who like drops self her self-titled album and is famous, like never gives interviews, but like there's a lot of this kind of context about like what each of the songs mean in, in terms of her life. And, but she's never on, she's never officially on the record saying those things whereas like now you have Lil Nas X being like nope this is what this is about <laughs> right yeah well it's just different different tactics for different artists again everybody you know he he had posted like I've been planning this for a long time you mm-hmm. know because I had nine months to put this together it's very intentional what I'm trying to say so yeah it's just silly the the conversation I did like that somebody posted that you know, we really are like living in like a Renaissance time. We've got, uh, you know, satanic pan- panic happening in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, we're taking it way back uh, this year. I thought that was funny. So, yeah, and I think we're going to see that rise again, which, you know, we're about due for it. It was like 30 years ago the last time, you know, and again, these things are like cyclical. <laughs> so it's like, oh, satanic panic is back. Yay. Uh, but, you know, it's also coming at a time when I just saw a thing that like less than half of American adult Americans identify with a church or go to a church, you know? So mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, it's just, we live in interesting times. So Lil Nas X is definitely contributing to that. I'm here nor there truly with like the video. I saw it. I'm like, Oh cool. You know, the devil, the whole thing. It's very, you know, uh, fun and, campy (laughs) you know it's it's going to it's provocative for those like for very intentional reasons and it's like definitely like definitely provoking specific people and it's like it's provoke it's provoking like you know there's that the religious the religious people who you know you're gonna go to hell if you're gay (laughs) and you know right not only did he go there on a you know a stripper pole but you know he did give a lap dance to um, the Dark Lord. 
So, yeah. And again, these tactics are also not new, you know, I mean, Madonna has been doing that. You know, you think of old school, like Prince videos. I mean, everybody gets people talking and that's the thing, you know, I mean, he could have made it just a straight up video of what straight up. That's funny. Whatever, whatever the song is, he could have made it a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. direct like storytelling or something like that. And it wouldn't have been, I mean, this is very calculated to have everybody talking. I mean, he, he's dominating like all of the discussions in pop culture. So mm-hmm. regardless, and he knows that. And that's why he keeps doing what he's doing because every, every single like clap back is like, by the way, stream the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go watch On the video, iTunes. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So it's very, you know, it's working well for him. And I just kind of firmly believe like there's plenty of things that I'm like, Ugh, I don't like this unless something is truly like racist, misogynistic, like as we talked about before, you know, something to like to speak out against in that, in that realm. Uh, then, then I think it's valid of, of, of having that sort of critique. But like, if you don't, I, that, I don't understand people who are like, I hate this thing. And then they can't stop talking about it. I'm like, you're, t- you're doing more. People cannot buy that kind of promotion. Yeah. You, know, you cannot buy that sort of publicity. You can't. I mean, it just, it's, it's a brilliant strategy for getting, you know, millions and millions of people to stream the song and to watch the video. And that's all money in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm curious what a live show will look like. <laughs> Ooh, it'll be live from <laughs> the, the giant stripper pole on stage <laughs> as he glides in. It's battle of the bands from Sabrina <laughs> from chilling adventures of Sabrina. Exactly. It's going to take place there. <laughs> That's exactly what it will do. <laughs> All righty. Well, that is, uh, yeah, that's true. That that was good, uh, fun, uh, satanic news this week. So praise, <laughs> praise him. Praise him, Satan on low. All righty. We will be right back uh, to discuss Red Riding Hood. I just want to apologize. I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive and very stupid, and I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I am so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I am so sorry. I only wanted to make good content for our listeners. (laughs) I'm so scared. (laughs) I'm going to die out here. (laughs) Joshua, is that you?
All right, welcome back. So today we are going to be starting a new little mini series, a new series of mini series uh, examining fairy tales in horror films, the connection there. And so I want to start off with this um, little piece here by uh, Amber Sparks. Uh, a horror tale is a fairy tale turned inside out. So the fairy tale and the horror tale are both very old and both have similar origins. They're rooted in warnings, in advice, in the ideas that you need to know the consequences. The fairy tale is rooted in a warning heeded and a reward or a wonder at the end. But a warning not heeded, a warning can bend, can rot, can turn on you. A story can be one thing or two, good or bad, nightmare and dream. It is important to know that a window can be instead a wind eye. It is important to know that wonder can turn to horror, and it's not as hard as you might think to twist it. It might scare you how easily it actually is. So, we're going to start with, I, I think, truly one of the m probably most prolific fairy tales that you see in horror. I could be wrong, but I feel like this story of, of Little Red Riding Hood certainly permeates a lot of horror. Um and it's been adapted into, you know, novels and stories, short stories, films, and, you know, ad nauseum, as, as we will see when discussing uh, the, the, the couple of films that we have chosen over the next few weeks. So just to kind of chat a little history of Little Red Riding Hood, the story was first, it's believed the first published version of the story was... Uh, Little Red Riding Hood, uh, Charles Perrault. Uh, this was a French version of the tale. And it was pretty dark. <laughs> Do you as, know as the name of it in the name Little Red Riding Hood, what it's what the, what its French pronunciation is? Uh, let me find could you could you guess? I just want you to speak French. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it'd be like Le Petit Chapeau Rouge. Le Petit Chapeau Rouge. <laughs> That's probably not Chapeau, it. Actually, isn't it would be, Chapeau Hat? No. Yes. Okay. That's also discussed of whether or not it was a hat or was a hood. But over the... Again, it depends on interpreting the story. So, like, uh, cap versus... Um, you know, hat mm -hmm. <laughs> or a hood. I mean, a cap versus a hat versus a hood uh, versus a cape. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it kind of becomes, uh, gets a little um, muddled uh, mm -hmm. through various uh, tellings of it because it existed as a, as an oral story far before, uh, mm. you know, in, in many different ways, there's, you know, um, I think in, in like Asian countries, like there's a tiger grandmother story tale, you know, tale, but the first time it was kind of really solidified and written down was in Charles Perrault's, uh, Histoire conduite son pass. Uh, so, um, that was his, his book that he published of, of fairy tales. And again, it was very straight up, just scary. <laughs> Um, you know, he, most of the basic elements are there, you know, little girl in the woods to go see her grandmother. She's bringing her some cake and some butter and meets, you know, this, uh, creature in the woods who 
you know, gets out of her what she's trying to do. So he beats her to the grandmother's house and, you know, there he eats the grandmother, does the whole thing, you know, and, and all of that happens. Only in the original tale, uh, Red Riding Hood is eaten as well. And it's a, it's sort of this conversation of, uh, you know, what the, the bad things that befall little girls when they wander alone in the woods. And mm. so, right? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Did the church write this? <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, You know, but it it starts as those sorts of tales. And again, like Little Red Riding Hood, I think what's fun about it and why I think it'll be fun to discuss throughout these these episodes as, as it applies to like the modern horror film is the diff is different endings, you know? So um, in Perot's version, like I said, she dies at the end. It's kind of this warning not to talk to strangers, you know, Mm -hmm. not to, you know, to be careful where you go. Um, the brothers Grimm made it a little, um, nicer, you know, by adding like the huntsman who comes in and saves them. But then that adds this sort of like patriarchal uh, male protective lens to the story. Uh, there's also versions where little red riding hood convinces the wolf that she needs to, um, that she needs to answer the call of nature. And so she's like, let go to go outside and then she runs away. So sometimes she saves herself. There are um, feminist interpretations, uh, you know, that the the wolf, you know, represents a rapist or like a sexual predator of some of some sense. So that makes it an excellent allegory for the concerns and uh, particular fears of women. So when we, you know, and obviously that will come up in 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 some of the in another a couple of the films that we're going to talk about <clears throat> that will be the, probably the most obvious um, connection there. Uh, so yeah. Uh, kind of to go- answer your question too, about the hat, the chapeau, or is it a, is it a riding hood is again, it depends on like tellings because of like sim- symbolism, you know? So like the color red is uh, very, tied with like sinfulness. So like, you know, disobeying or being bad. It's also sexually suggestive. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the hood or the cape, I think this is sort of an interesting thing that I found in research is that sometimes wearing that sort of um, accessory would say that the wearer is uh, a young woman and most likely prepubescent. So a child, Mm. it just gives a very particular, you know, she's hooded, um, you know, and it gives a very particular age, you know, Mm -hmm. so she's supposed to be very young. And then, like, as I said, we talked about that the wolf can certainly represent, you know, a real wolf, you know, a real dangerous animal that you can Mm -hmm. eat in Mm -hmm. the woods, Uh, but most likely, you know, a hostile violent sexually aggressive man uh, it's very interesting there's a in in the french they have a, a term called a bizou a bizou uh, that's b-z-o-u and so there that's sort of part of uh, an early like the uh what is that called the grandmother there's sort of a tale that's the grandmother's tale but he's a bizou which is like a werewolf mm. and and so again obviously that ties into today's film you know we do see red riding hood often you know, put into werewolf tales just makes sense. But in that story, this is what's kind of really disturbing in the, in these early, uh, uh, Oh, well, there's the French version, the petit chaperon rouge. (laughs) 
There you go. Um, but these earlier European versions, this is why this is so terrifying. These were like children's tales. So again, these things bend and change throughout history. But when you look at like Grimm's fairy tales, some of them are very horrifying. And so the in this uh, early like oral version with the bizu, he the 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 wolf creature, whatever it is, uh, serial killer, uh, you know, psychotic, violent person, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, you want to fill in, you know, gets to the house, murders the grandmother, eats some of her, leaves some, you know, for later, at which point when Little Red arrives, the, uh, the bazoo recommends that she have some food, being her grandmother, Mm. (laughs) and she her own grandmother, uh, which is, you know, even more terrifying. And then uh, asks her to take all of her clothes off and hop into bed with him <laughs> or thinking that that's her grandmother. And then the whole, you know, oh, big eyes, the, you know, it's just like tension, you know, that we always see. And, um, and then again, the, you know, the end will change depending on the teller and depending on what message you want to send. So, <laughs> Um, oh yeah, from China, the tiger grandmother. That's what I was looking for earlier. Uh, so that was sort of a, another early telling of this sort of of this sort of story. And again, culturally, we find ways to explain things that are terrifying and are horrible, and that's obviously the function of horror to some extent. Our cultural anxiety is getting boiled down. So when we think of Little Red Riding Hood, and we think of you know, you have this child who you love obviously and you care for and you send to do a basic errand and something horrific happens to them you know so violent and so terrifying like how do you how do you explain that how do you you know understand what kinds of people you know you you immediately want to go to a monster did this you know and when we you know when we think of some of the worst uh crimes perpetrated you know particularly against women and children these violent brutal ways it's like you look at their you know the remains the bodies and you go this (laughs) this could not have been a person Mm -hmm. you know and so that's you know where we start getting those um those myths and and the things that inform our early understanding of psychology and of mental health and of of uh, disorders all kind of come out of out of this fairy tale knowledge, I think uh, it's it's very interesting. There's um, some great pieces, and I'll try to link some of them in the in the description if you for more uh, research. But um, and with um, well, maybe we'll talk a little bit more. Let me pause on that because we we could talk about uh, Claude in Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, I mean, in Red Riding Hood, the film, the brother with autism. So yeah, let's just go ahead and we'll we'll chat a little bit. That kind of gives a little foundation for. You know, the Little Red Riding Hood tale, if you didn't know how bloody and gory some of the early versions were, the the, the one we're raised with is is nice because everybody's saved in the end by the man and we can all go home. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are doing Red Riding Hood. This from 2011. <laughs> Miss Amanda Seafried trying her. Is that how you say that? I always say her name wrong. Um, Amanda Mamma Mia, like... <laughs> <laughs> Cosette. <laughs> but Amanda Seaver trying her best with Gary Oldman, Billy Burke, uh, Virginia Madsen, Lucas Haas. I thought, you know, this is a, you know, again, a who's that of the, you know, 
it is a it is a very much a who's that and 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 gary oldman has an oscar now (laughs) right so one could say that maybe it was this portrayal of (laughs) father solomon that led him to i don't think one can say that (laughs) (laughs) um Uh, we got Catherine Hardwick on direction. Didn't she direct the first Twilight movie? She did. Uh, so so much. It does explain so much because I Leonardo DiCaprio produced. He it. did, and I was like, okay, that explains a lot as well. But it explains so much because it's a it has a very Twilight feel to it. Yeah. So no, absolutely, especially with Billy Burke. I'm sure he's like, I want to play the werewolf this time. You know, <laughs> Billy Burke. Alert. Um, it has two boys <laughs> fighting over a woman. Like, <laughs> right? Well, are they, you know, actually, well, we could talk. I guess you know. Overall, what did you think of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I what I text you. I said the only thing that's horror about this is the script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dialogue. The dialogue yeah. is um, something to be desired. And again, we're, we've landed in vague Europe. Like, <laughs> yeah, we've landed in vague That's Europe true. where everyone speaks like an American. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I like that. A return. We're, 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 it's a it's a voyage to vague Europe. Yes, we've know. returned um, to vague Europe. Which again um, pays homage to the original, uh, you know, Wolfman of the, you know, that we did early. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that episode's called Vague Europe. <laughs> this is it. this film was not good. It was fun, but it was not good, and it it had it. It's just one of those films where it's like, wow, everyone like they needed a check. Um, we needed to yeah. give people work. So, and this is, should serve as inspiration for anybody who is an aspiring filmmaker that, you know, if they can make Red Riding Hood, they can make your movie. <laughs> so don't, don't hey, shoot, don't go. hesitate and shoot your shot. I have other little jabs and jibs at this, but generally, you know, not, a, it was not good, but it was fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, one of those movies that you wanted it to be better. And maybe if they'd gone for an R rating, you know, instead of PG-13. I chose this to start with because, one, it's very obvious. You know, it's clearly, I mean, it's called Red Riding Hood. The other films are not, you know, so obvious. And so we're just kind of discussing the influence of of Little Red Riding Hood, that story on a history of horror, on, a you know, a giant history of, of horror. And so I thought this would kind of be fun to start with. That way we kind of get it out of the way. Um, I, after watching it, I was like, maybe we should have started with Company of Wolves instead. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen that. I think that you would enjoy Company of Wolves. It's it's very interesting. Uh, also, werewolves and Little Red Riding Hood. Kind, you know, I mean, it's it's a it's like a fever dream. So we'll see. Maybe we'll still do it. I it was kind of when I was putting together the list, I was like, well. I thought this might be more fun in a way. I knew that there were people that like you would know that I don't even know. <laughs> you would know some of them like <laughs> I know I've seen that person in some teenage movie from 2008. I know it was it was very much uh it was like a oh my god, I know them. Lucas Haas, you know? Uh I figured you were you'd be like, "Hey." <laughs> Well, I, I was more surprised that Gary Oldman and Virginia Madsen yeah. were in this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Gary Oldman, I think he just 
I'm sure they probably paid him. He was probably a big part of the budget. I know. Uh, Virginia, he was, I'm not so sure. Yeah. But. He was like, he was very much channeling, like, he had his, like, serious black from Harry Potter accent, but he was very much, like, he was kind of channeling his character a little bit from, uh, um, <laughs> From that, oh, that Tarantino movie with uh, Christian Slater and uh, Patricia Arquette. What's it called? True Romance. I think it's a. Oh no, I don't remember what it's called, but it's. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, we'll have to look that up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll look that up on the interwebs. But yeah, also, <laughs> yes, yeah. Joshua, did Go you ahead. did you enjoy the alternative music festival that was their celebration? Their <laughs> <laughs> it was like the, the you see the 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 minstrels there, and I'm like, oh my god! Here's Arcade Fire, Fever Ray. I, I, in my mind, I'm like, oh my god, this sounds like a Fever Ray song, and then I shazammed it, and it was a Fever Ray song. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, and I almost texted you because I'm like, this is your influence on me that I'm like, very much. You know, if you want to do like medieval bacchanalia, nothing says medieval bacchanalia like Fever Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and to be honest, it's probably the only reason that I knew that this film existed. Uh, was <laughs> well, I, I thought knew, so. I thought so because I knew that that Fever Ray had done that song, "The Wolf," which I love. I love that song. It's so cool. It's so creepy and weird, and uh, it sounds awesome when you play it at like top volume. It's like perfect for like the bacchanal parties that we throw. You know, like I want that kind of energy in my life. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but you know, obviously when we're talking about red riding hood, like it's just, you know, a good place to start, but yeah, they played, uh, it's the wolf, uh, which was written for the film. And then, uh, they pulled keep the streets empty for me is also a fever race song. I played right after during their little like love scene with, uh, was it Peter? <laughs> I kept getting the boys mixed up. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but when Edward. She, the one that she <laughs> wants to write Edward, Edward, no, yeah, Edward. <laughs> Edward and Jacob. Edward um, and Jacob. <laughs> and that's and that's literally how I refer to them. The whole I'm like, okay, this one's Edward. This one's Jacob. <laughs> this one's Carlisle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very, very Twilight. Um But I you know but again, we can glean, you know, some things from it. Uh obviously, you know, the ways that fairy tales played as like you know early horror uh you know so everybody's preparing they're they're terrified of this monster that lives at the edge of the woods uh you know everybody's paranoid you know the sort of um the small town Mm -hmm. paranoia that you know we see repeated over and over again throughout time you know it starts in these tiny villages and then to the suburbs you know very much feels like that kind of movie you know like halloween or something there you know yeah this thing that creeps upon their quiet village and every, you know, blood moon or whatever. <laughs> um, I was going to say, so when you were talking about the guys, uh, the two, the two guys fighting over her, it's like, they're not really though. These are like the most under, like they live in this village with like um, a lot of, you know, patriarchal, misogynist nonsense Mm -hmm. you know like we're marrying the women off we're choosing who you're gonna be with and you know all of that those those sorts of things um the the wolf is you know murdering people for jealous revenge over you know instead of just chatting with his wife maybe Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) instead of having Uh, an honest conversation with his wife 
like I'm going to murder all these people. Um, but I'm like, these guys are kind of understanding despite their role models. <laughs> it's the one's just like, I'm not going to make you marry me. I know you don't love me. And it's like, what? That's not how this works typically, <laughs> but good. I mean, I'm not criticizing. That's great. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, you know, all men should be that way. You know, like, no, this isn't right. We're not meant for each other. Blah, blah, whatever. Is but, there you know, like a, re- like, they're very understanding. Is there like a reverse Bechtel test <laughs> where it's like, all they do is like, they don't exist like out if she didn't exist they wouldn't exist either um oh right yeah 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 the guys are just there to serve that sort of purpose to yeah. create that tension um yeah i don't think there is but i, I think that's an interesting question mm-hmm. you know about creating like you know when you go through a, a a script when you look at movies how many of the male characters motivations exist solely you know as part of the as part of the main woman's narrative, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. rather than, cause I mean, I'm sure there's quite a lot, uh, you know, not, not propelling the plot forward more, but it's not, it's not our usual analysis. Yeah. You know, usually it's more about how, how are women subjugated by the male characters or subjugated by patriarchy, which both, you know, this, that obviously exists here. Um, you know, Virginia Matson's character loved someone else, but was forced to marry uh, Charlie Swan. Which like um, wild, whatever is there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, which like is wild, Caesar, Caesar, Cesare, Cesare, like this, uh, this, this whole movie felt like a Stefan sketch, right? It's like if you want a fairy tale, <laughs> if you want a horror film that's about a fairy tale, have I got the movie for you? 2011's biggest dumpster fire is Red Riding Hood. This film has everything. It's got, you know, paternity issues. It's got Jacob and Edward. Like, that's what it felt like to me as things were being introduced. (laughs) Like, it's got, (laughs) it's got a vengeful priest with children. Who <laughs> the woman from Candyman? <laughs> the woman got the woman from Candyman. It's got two. I was like, I, I was, I was really like, oh my god! If the, the two like black guards of the of Father Solomon, I was like, if he calls them Moors, I'm out of here. Like, because because that's where we were going. That's like that's like where we were going. Is like you know, oh the Moors are here. Um, it's got Lucas Haas. Um, anytime someone <laughs> an says iron elephant, it's got an iron <laughs> elephant, which like it, which is based on like a real, like that's based yeah, on a real brazen. torture device. The brazen bull. Yeah. Brazen bull. Yeah. Which like, I love that. It's just like, Oh yeah. I spent a night in the elephant and I'm like, girl, you would be like dead. <laughs> you would be dead. <laughs> D E D dead. It's a horrifying device for sure. And to put that poor autistic boy in there, it's just... I know, but he knows magic. <laughs> he knows it's right. of he the can, devil. He does a card trick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, and that kind of plays into that paranoia. Like, this guy, this Father Solomon is is gross. I mean, he's horrifying, you know, monster in coming into this village. Like, he... He operates in the same way as the wolf, scaring everybody to do his to do his bidding. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the way like faith and religion, you know, have sort of poisoned, you know, our understanding, you know, our early understandings of of the world, you know, and that kind of that was going to go a little bit into, you know, my conversation about, again, um, 
like psychology and mental health, you know, within, mm-hmm. within horror films and particularly within fairy tales, you know, when you think of religious explanations for things, supernatural explanations for things uh, that we kind of now have some, you know, we have better understanding. We have more scientific understanding of, of what was going on. So one of the cool things I found is that you've heard of like changelings, right? Mm-hmm. Like the fairy changeling. So there's a whole, there's like this really good paper about whether or not that that shows evidence of like autism in, in early cultures Ooh. and that our understanding of, of the changeling, because we know that some children who have autism are neurotypical for a couple of years. This is why people have tied the vaccinations, you know, thing is because they go, Oh, my child was quote normal was a normal child, was a neurotypical child for, you know, a couple of years. And then usually around that time when you give them vaccinations, well, that's sometimes when like autistic um, um, symptoms begin to show. And so what can happen is that you have this child that seems very like all the other children suddenly change into some, into something else, into someone else uh, it feels, you know, cause they're no longer who they were. And when you look at stories of like the Fae, and the belief that they came and they replaced human children with these, um, you know, babies who c- couldn't communicate the same way anymore, you know, were, you know, excessively quiet or, ex- you know, just doing things that, you know, t- to parents 500, 600 years ago would not have had, you know, they would have been like, this is just a different baby, you know? And so they would take those children out, they'd abandon them in the woods, you know, they would think that they were demons or, um, you know, some sort of vessel, you know, for, 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 for bad things to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's, I think that I, I, I'm, I'm in love with this sort of concept, you know, that, that we can see where fairy tales intersect with like knowledge of mental health and mental disorders. And one, another cool thing I found is, um, particularly like with werewolves and, there's this uh, paper <laughs> that manic and aggressive behaviors uh, could be triggered by moon-associated signals in extremely rare cases. So some rapid cycling bipolar disorders have uh, having lunar cycles is plausible. Uh, it might be even related to lunar periodic variations of the body temperature rhythms. Uh, this very, <laughs> very like, you know, clinical kind of conversation, um, you know, of of uh you know of, of of a disorder that could make you act very irrationally um again not to say like oh people with bipolar are going to go off murdering and eating people you know but it's just kind of tying those those ideas into our our early understandings and so um with Again, there is a thing called clinical lycanthropy. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, a disorder where patients believe they are transformed into an animal or a, be- or a beast. Uh, again, that also connects to, you know, our understandings, early understandings. Of like, how could you explain, you know, that in clinical terms when you didn't yet have that? Yeah. You know, so, and again, that shows up in this film in Red Riding Hood with their brother Claude, who's autistic and everybody, you know, is easily turned against him. This person that they've known that's been in their village, their whole, 
you know, lives. Harmless. This religious fanatic. Right. A harmless person, you know. It just takes this religious fanatic to come in and say, no, 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 no. Like, you cannot trust what you've always known. Now, this is, he is a, you know, a, a vessel for Satan. He's, uh, what's he called? He says he's uh, communing with demons mm-hmm. uh, because he does a card trick. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting because yeah. I think the card that he does, the first trick, I think that's the tarot card, the tower. Oh. Which, like, is very, <laughs> is very fortuitous. You know, it's very foreboding, I should say, of uh, what's uh, yet to come. Um, yes. That is true, <laughs> but especially for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. he, yes, especially for him. That terrible iron, iron elephant. Um, uh, it was such a strange film. Um, <laughs> movie, not a film, a movie. Um, I was wondering. I was like, I was like, you're gonna say something, but I'm not sure what you were gonna say. <laughs> it was. It's just so strange because, like, there there are things that happen that, like, why would you put that in there? Like any. So anytime, like, you have someone who says the Holy See, <laughs> like anytime someone says the Holy See, I was like, a Catholic wrote this because <laughs> only Catholics <laughs> say the Holy See. Like, like he could have said the Pope. <laughs> you know, the Holy See implies like it's that's like the um it that's like the uh administrative <laughs> thing like the administrative name of the vatican right so like oh these are the only three swords blessed by the holy see and i was like lucas haas you're hot but stop it <laughs> stop it right now <laughs> and then you oh, and, that's fine. and then like you get like the strange like like we built this mask of shame and they're like you know they're like, you know, Cersei walking her through <laughs> through the town to, you know, offer her up to uh, the wolf. And then you have, like, the, the people coming and, like, talking to her. And then, you like, that girl, she just, like, says the most awful things to her. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, they're really trying to cast... You really don't know who the wolf is because they're trying to make everyone seem very horrible. Which also could be, you know a moral of the story is that like everyone is terrible. So, you know, anybody has the, has the ability to become the wolf quote unquote. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's a, it's a very good point again, because we're dealing with like, you know, superstition and, you know, unchecked, like, you know, religious uh, paranoia, uh, you know, that everybody's kind of, it's very much like a witch hunt. You know, this, mm-hmm. it, this has like a moment where it's very much like the crucible. You mm-hmm. know, I saw her speaking with, you know, mm-hmm. you know goody Amanda <laughs> was speaking with the wolf. Also, her name <laughs> is freaking Valerie. Like what medieval, I, I don't, I mean, I don't like look through like medieval times and see like, you know, Lady Valerie, like, come on. Like Valerie. <laughs> well, yeah, let's, we'll just um, say that it's not, uh, it's a little anachronistic. Um, the whole yeah. thing was, <laughs> the whole thing was very, like, it was very anachronistic. It, I mean, that, again, yeah, I re- like, we're not, we're not a review podcast, but, <laughs> but this, it, it just seems so, 
it, it just seemed like so of the time. That's the other thing too, is that this film is like firmly lodged in that like aughts, like 2000s, like very, yeah. you know, the alternative Rocky music and the filters and um, everyone, like the guy who Peter, who ends up, whoever she ends up with in the end, um, it's like, if you could do that now, you would cast Gavin Leatherwood, who played Nick Scratch. Like, exactly. It's this, it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one for one. You can switch them out. And then, you know, the blacksmith, I don't know. He's like, if Ansel Elgort and Eddie Redmayne had, like, a love child, that's would be that. <laughs> that would be that guy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Because, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I can see that. And, uh, yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, so, and you mentioned that there's a, there's a version of the story where, um, the wolf feeds the grandmother to Red Riding Hood. I thought that happened in the film. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that that, that shows up here. So again, this is sort of using, you know, lots of different ideas because you get sort of the, the huntsman in Peter's role, uh, you know, he bring breaks down the door with the ax and attacks the, you know, the wolf or, you know, now we know her father with the ax. Uh, you, you have that moment where, yeah, I think that's very implied that that is, you know, a nice little stew he's made out of grandmama, <laughs> uh, who I loved. Um, I, she just, she was so, uh, <laughs> Like, if I'm going to be in this village, I want to be her, or at least live with her, because she seems fun, you know? And I like how she's, like, she knows everybody's scared of a werewolf going around, and what does she do? She's, like, standing in the house covered in this giant fur blanket (laughs) that she's about to put on Virginia Madsen's character, uh, Suzette, uh, which just, you know, made me laugh, because it's just like, lady, are you not reading the room? That people are very paranoid about giant furry beasts. (laughs) Don't worry, Joshua. Everything, the cure for everything is bread. More bread. Right. It is. That, was, that is true. That is the one thing about this movie that is that is absolutely true. Bread can cure everything with some butter and wine. Maybe some cheese. Un petit vin. Oh. Un petit beurre. Lots of French. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. This uh, this is like this really makes me cannot wait for the day, um, hopefully soon, where we could be in the same room. Like this is one of those movies that like, I, like I felt like oh my god, this is this is would be perfect on your television, in your home, like yelling at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, true. But, you know, again, I think that we get a lot of sort of those very direct references, obviously, to, to these, to the Little Red Riding Hood story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, mixed with the bizou, the, um, yeah. It, it didn't occur to me that they made this choice at the end, but the part of, like, you know, so Peter, Edward, whatever his fucking his name is, um, He's also he is a woodsman, and right. um, Valerie's father Caesar is also a woodsman as well. Like so, the fact that he's the wolf actually, I was actually a little surprised who ended up being the wolf. I was I was like, oh my god, that's the wolf. Um, 
I truly did not see for all for all of the hate that I've said about this film. I truly did not see Caesar being the wolf as a thing. <laughs> um, spoiler alert for <laughs> this film that came out ten years ago. Uh, <laughs> who did you think it was, or who, who was your? I genuinely had no idea. I thought it might have been one of her little friends. Um, I thought also very selfishly that it could have been her sister. Um. But I would, but like, I was like, it was, and, and the whole, like, the grandma could be the wolf thing was so fascinating. Cause I'm like, I don't get that because it sounded really, it, it sounded very like, come with me, my love, you know, like it was very candy man. Like it was like, come be with right. me. Um, and it made sense to the, I'm like, oh, okay. Her father. <laughs> It's her father. It would have been interesting if it had been the grandmother, just because that obviously would kind of turn the that story, you know, on its head a little bit. Mm-hmm. In, um, and then you could kind of talk about, again, like intergenerational trauma. Yeah. But like they kind of hinted <laughs> yeah. at the grandmother having like, you know, she's an old lady that lives in the forest by herself. So like she right. has some sort of mystical powers or whatever, but they don't they don't flesh that out. But all of this to say is that like, I thought it was interesting. Like, you know, they did bring in the woodsman aspect in it, but not as a savior as like, he was the wolf. And then at the end with Peter Edward, Peter slash Edward, <laughs> um, he, <laughs> um, he ends up becoming a werewolf himself. Uh, and also helps contribute to the killing of, um, of her, you know, the actual wolf. Um, yeah. And then, you know, this is just, this is also just a cautionary tale to all um, aspiring, you know, people of people who, you know, enjoy kink, um, that to just be very careful uh, when attempting fisting, because, you know, that's basically how this, how they kill the wolf is they, you know, fist him to death. (laughs) Maybe we should have had a company of wolves. (laughs) (laughs) let's write let's write that down uh yeah i think there's actually there's another ending to it where she has a baby so when he comes back for her she has a baby Mm. Uh, but they don't um which you know would have been yes you know sort of we're gonna we've decided to carry it on now that we understand the monster (laughs) and we we can be a better version of the monster is the uh and that is the american way (laughs) Right. Yes, very true. Um, if we're going to be monsters, at least be, you know, the, the less evil monsters. That is the our whole uh, political and economic structure. Uh, <laughs> I was just kind of looking to see if I had any other, like, random um, things. This movie was a random thing. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. Well, again, I think it's just a, it, this is just a nice intro, you know, point just to say this is a very obvious horror version of Little Red Riding Hood. Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, just to kind of kick off this this um, little series. And I, you know, I'm excited for the other movies we're going to do. Some of them we've been talking about for, you know, a number of years of like, when are we going to finally do that one? And so uh, I, I'm glad we're going to get that opportunity. We're going to watch also um, a new film and we've got a good guest lined up to, to chat with us about that. So I'm excited, you know, it's just going to be fun. So let, we're just starting with this kind of silly story, giving some, um, you know, background for, you know, little red riding hood. It's a very, you know, again, a very old story. It's been around. Most of us, you know, have familiarity with it. 
uh, you know, and, and the sort of the, the things that it suggests, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, what other lessons can be gleaned mm-hmm. from little red riding hood? We're going to find out. Are, are we, we going to watch striking <laughs> distance for this? You know? <laughs> what? <laughs> you ever seen striking distance? It's, um, oh, what is that? Bruce Willis and Sarah Jessica Parker as, uh, cops like river cops in, I think like Louisiana, and there's like a serial killer on the loose that's targeting young women. Um, and Bruce Willis is haunted by not having caught the serial killer the first time around. So, um, well, the reason why I bring that up is because in the first, in the opening uh, scenes from the film, uh, when you see like, you know, the the first victim, the, the serial killer plays, uh, hey there, little red riding hood. <laughs> So, striking distance. <laughs> I've never heard of this. Wow. I think. Well, I mean, you said Bruce Willis, so I mean, immediately <laughs> I wanted to kind of check out. Um, and not you know, just like he's so associated with a lot of like action films mm-hmm. that I never had any interest in. So maybe I just you know, is it good? Are you recommending it? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then there we go. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for filling a few more minutes of time. Um, <laughs> All righty. Well, I think that's a good place to stop for Please. Uh, for this week. Uh, <laughs> you know, again, yeah, not not highly recommending Red Riding Hood. It's, you know, um, I, do, I do agree. I like the soundtrack. I do like Amanda. You know, she's doing her best um, with the script. She definitely uh, is. <laughs> Uh, you know, but yeah, a paycheck's a paycheck. And I mean, it did okay. You know, it made like twice its budget. So what are you going to do? <laughs> All righty. Well, we will uh, be back next week to continue this little series. Uh, yay. Joe, much love and fear. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Geekscape Network.